Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home. Your long-haul truck. RV. Camper. Taxi. Your parents' well-appointed basement with a simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs. Playing poker. Your loft. That greasy spoon just off the interstate. And your cabin in the woods. Carlos Cagina is our technical producer. And uh, Ryan White is the live stream producer. Please check out my YouTube and Rumble channel, Strange Planet. Uh, I also want to give a quick shout-out to Star Chamber patrons tonight, Tim T., Tim Sullivan, and Deep Paul. Tim T., Tim Sullivan, and Deep Paul, they are Star Chamber tier uh, patrons or patrons at uh, patreon.com slash strangeplanet. Thank you, Tim T., Tim Sullivan, and Deep Paul for your uh, generous support. It means so much to us here at Strange Planet. We, we can't do what we do here test, without your test, help. Test, 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 All right. Uh, if you're just tuning in now, uh, this is my uh, second to last broadcast here on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. After 13 years, I have decided uh, it was time to keep uh, one less plate spinning. Uh, I'll continue to produce three episodes of my podcast, Strange Planet, every week, Monday, Tuesday, or sorry, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they, uh, they're published. The YouTube channel, uh, and so many of you gather in the YouTube live chat every week. I know you've, you've created your own wonderful community. Uh, we're going to keep it going. So there'll be more details on what we'll do with the YouTube channel. Uh, Ryan, uh, Ryan and I will be discussing uh, what exactly that will entail this coming week. And um, I'll continue to post new content there. It just won't be on Sunday nights. Uh, but I may do uh, a special live stream as well, at least once a, a month. And uh, I'll be continuing with uh, Coast to Coast AM, three or four shifts per month. And, of course, I'll continue hosting the uh, Richard Serrett Show weekday afternoons from 4 to 6 p.m. on Saga 960. Incidentally, there's a new website for that show. Check it out, therichardserrettshow.com, therichardserrettshow.com. Now, next week, next week, my very last show here on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, two hours of open lines. Ask me anything, and also I'll be dipping into the audio archives and uh, play some clips from some favorite past shows. All right. Uh, Right now, we're going to take one last look at the state of UFO disclosure, at least on this show. Victor Vigiani has uh, been with me from the beginning, starting at uh, another radio station in uh, 2000, and uh, then on another radio station in 2003, and then, and then he's been here with me many, 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 many times since I started here on Zoomer back in 2009. He's a retired school principal from Toronto. He has a Bachelor of Arts degree in sociology and psychology, a master's in educational administration and curriculum development, and a Victor's research and analysis of uh, aerial phenomenon spans over 30 years. His experience involves UFO sightings, report investigation, counseling work with individuals, reporting anomalous experiences, presentations, and journalism in the field of ETI disclosure issues. He is the director of Zeland Communications and Zeland News Network. Victor, welcome back once again. How are you, my friend? Just fine, Richard. Just fine. It's great to be with you at this point in time in your history. So, uh, yeah, it's a it's a very special evening, and I, I want to thank you very much for allowing me to be part of it. I really do appreciate it. Oh, of course, of course. I wouldn't think of uh, saying so long without having you on the program uh, <laughs> one last time. Yeah. So. Um, you wrote a, an article, uh, that w- w- and people can see that up at uh, that's at zlandcommunications.blogspot.com, mm-hmm. and um, relating to unidentified aerial phenomena. It's titled, um, "Well, let me see here. Where were? Wh- where have we been? Where are we now? What next?" Mm-hmm. 
So let's just dive in. Uh, where have we been? Well, I guess the, the reason that I wrote the editorial to begin with, Richard, is um, I have, in a way, I've, how can I put it succinctly? I've really changed my perspective on this whole thing called disclosure. Um, and that's after a lot of deep thought and, and uh, sort of watching the carousel of news has gone on since 2017. Uh, when um, uh, Ralph Blumenthal and Helena Cooper and Leslie Kane burst onto the scene uh, from the New York Times with their exposure of the Pentagon uh, situation with respect to the Tic Tac videos and the ATIP program and all those other highly secretized things that were going on from 2007 to 2012 in the Pentagon with respect to investigation of, of UFOs or UAP. And I, I've rethought all of my my previous. I haven't changed my mind necessarily, but I've rethought, reconfigured my my understanding of what's really gone on. And I think I've divided it into two places, into two parts. Uh, I, I call it the New and the Old Testament, to use a biblical mm-hmm. image for a second. Uh, everything that happened before 2017, before the New York Times broke that it's absolutely mind-blowing article by those three, um, I call them demolition artists, and I'll get to that in a minute if you want. But before that, you had, uh, before 2017, you had all of the things that went on since 1947 with respect to the crash at Roswell and how the government tried to, you know, reanalyze it and reissue it and redefine it and lie about it, essentially. And all the things that happened between, you know, 1950 right through uh, several decades of of secrecy, uh, right up until, I guess, the beginning of uh, the year 2000. And when the the, the, the project uh, by uh, Stephen Greer came into place and then eventually landing up in 2017 with the disclosure about the Pentagon issue, I, I call that um, the, the Old Testament, the history of UFO secrecy. And a lot went on in all of those decades. And we spent a lot of time analyzing things in that period of time and sort of uh, putting all of our stock and trade in what went on in the past and then all of a sudden this 2017 thing hit and it became the New Testament of disclosure with uh, the government actually admitting uh, in many different ways. And we can get into that, too, if you want, in many different ways that these UFOs or UAP, they were redefined uh, as, as real. They admitted the Pentagon admitted that these things were, in fact, real. They were outperforming our most sophisticated, uh, you know, aircraft and doing things that, that nothing that they had in their arsenal could ever replicate. You know, going from, you know, 50 feet above the water in, in, uh, in the Pacific Ocean to 85,000 feet in less than one second. Uh, that kind of exposure, that kind of statement kind of blew everybody off the saddle of of, uh, of the UFO history. It, it would, nothing before had been said in that way uh, with respect to the Pentagon revelation. So, right. uh, you know, for, I mean, for the first time. That, in, and then it was sort it was a different ballgame after that is what I'm saying. Yeah, because now for, really now the idea that t- for a journalist to come on TV and say there's no such thing as UFOs. Uh, I mean, that's not even that's not a credible position. I mean, that's laughable now. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Any any of the skeptics who've held their stock in trade over the past, you know, in the the Old Testament, who tried to, uh, you know, uh, legitimize their position by saying this is just, you know, a flock of birds or, you know, uh, weather anomalies. That argument no longer stands. It is an absolutely uh, untenable position for any scientist any uh, researcher, for anyone who's a skeptic, you just don't maintain that position anymore because um, uh, the United States government uh, through the Pentagon has admitted that their, their their finest pilots have seen these things. They've flown beside them and uh, had these things fly rings around their, their most sophisticated aircraft. So, I mean, that's that's where we've been. And that's, you know, what what happened uh, in that period of time was a series of uh, what, I, what I would call um, – 
uh, revolutionary, okay, in a lot of ways. And it was also the ridiculous. Everybody was, you know, guessing at what these things were and trying to uh, redefine what the UFO issue was for so many decades. And everybody has their own specific understanding. And if you look at all the researchers that you and I have interviewed, both of us, and many of the interviews on, on uh, I guess, in Coast to Coast and many of the other podcasts, all of the, the these these researchers have got their own spin on things. Uh, the, the, the agreement and disagreement uh, within the UFO research community about what these things were, are, and could be. Is is uh, you know, as wide as the number of grains of sand, uh, you know, on any given beach. Uh, that is all kind of funneled down to one realization that these things a are real, and that uh, the transition from that statement that these UFOs are real has yet to be made into the government admitting. And here's the real turnkey of this whole situation, uh, Richard, is that uh, they're one step away maybe two steps away from actually acknowledging that these things are not from here. And so what's the only answer to that? If they're not from here, they must be from somewhere else. And uh, the Pentagon and the Director of National Intelligence and uh, all of the people within government have not really said anything about that uh, origin of these things. They have not they have been afraid to use the word extraterrestrial or off-world civilizations. They're not there yet. And there's a number of reasons why that transition is yet to happen. We had 2017 with the admission from the Pentagon that these things were real, but they've yet to really clarify and admit uh, whether they're afraid to. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that, that these things are not from here. So we're really in a different position right now uh, after everything has been done. And that E word, the extraterrestrial word, is yet to be uttered in, 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 in saying, and there's a lot of, uh, I guess, implications to that. The implications for the government to admit, think about it for a second. If the United States government or any major government within, a, you know, on, on a global scale admitted that we are in fact being engaged by and visited by off-world civilizations, extraterrestrials, that'll change everything, Richard. It will change everything. And we can get into that when we get into where we are now and where we can be. Well, as you say in your in your article, and people, again, can go to um, Zealand, is it zealandcommunications.blogspot? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, zealandcommunications.blogspot.com. Um, you know, we've had these, a series of uh, jarring journalistic reports starting in 2017. Uh, and so now we have, for the first time really in history, we have uh, a, a total 180 in terms of the attitude that, that the press takes towards this arena, UFOs or UAPs. It's, it's treated now with seriousness. We have investigative exposés happening. Uh, you point out in your article, the New York Times, for example, seems to be doubling down in terms of trying to expose government secrecy. Um, but then we had the um, the congressional hearing. Was it in May of this year? That's right. Yeah. And you had the um, it was the deputy director of naval intelligence, Scott Bray, mm-hmm. uh, stood up, and it was really kind of an embarrassing. Uh, display because he knew nothing when he was questioned and the questions were he was getting some excellent questions uh, from some of the um, the Congress um, the representatives in the in the house uh, he he did he knew nothing he, he acknowledged no no he, he said he had no knowledge of UFO incursions over nuclear facilities um, he really either was being evasive on purpose or he was just not prepared at all. Yeah, it, basically, Richard, what happened there is that uh, someone within the United States government, be it the Pentagon or the CIA or uh, the Director of National Intelligence, p- pick any alphabet organization that, that you want, they sent two little boys uh, to the <laughs> to the congressional hearing room uh, to uh, to do what I think you and I have called before the, the you know the the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers dance. They just literally danced around every single question that was thrown at them. Not only did they not know the the context of what had happened they not only did they not know uh, what the pentagon was involved in they were unable to answer 
any of the of the questions by, by people like Adam Schiff and the um, and the chairman Andre Carson. They showed complete and total ignorance. Now, what does that really mean? Why were these two puppets sent into this uh, into this arena, uh, not to to lie? I, I don't think that they really lied, um, uh, you know, in, in in that way, Richard. I think they just played stupid on purpose, <laughs> if you can do that. And, I, and that sort of reflects the idea that the United States government, and here's the here's really one of the key points about where we are with respect to. Um, disclosure is that um, the United States government wants to control the narrative of this situation. They desperately have to control this narrative. And if they don't control this narrative, it's going to get uh, out of hand. And by getting out of hand, they're going to be moving down the pipeline of eventually um, explaining all of these really weird situations with respect to sightings and encounters with pilots and all the things that are going on, legitimately going on with respect to how these, uh, these UAP are engaging, uh, you know, uh, the airspace of virtually every country in the world. What they're going to have to do is decide how are they going to redefine their position from a national security issue. And from a, a fear-based issue, how are they going to redefine that into something that's going to become something different? Uh, and they all know what that something different really is, okay? And the something different is, I'd love to talk to you about this more and more all the time. That something different, Richard, is the fact that uh, we are now being engaged by off-world civilizations, and we're not really sure how many are being at our doorstep, okay? It's not just one group. When we say extraterrestrials, we're just not talking about one group of people from another planet or another, another um, you know, solar system or whatever, another galaxy. We're dealing with a multiplicity a go- of a galactic federation. civilizations. A galactic and that's, federa- that's one of the key points that we have to deal with. A galactic federation is... Uh, the- well, a galactic federation sort of implies that whoever these uh, beings are, however many uh, of them uh, there are, your statement implies that there is some sort of a level of cooperation among them. And I'm not quite sure if, if I buy that argument. Uh, there may be a group of these civilizations that are, in fact, aligned in some way or another. And there may also be other civilizations and thousands of them potentially that are not. So what we're dealing with, uh, excuse me, is a a situation where we've got all of these off-world civilizations at different places in time. And we're also dealing with the fact, Richard, the the possible fact that these beings are or could be uh, interdimensional. In, 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 in nature. And that's another that's another question for, for another time, I guess. We could get into it a little bit later on. And once you read to the very end of my article, uh, my editorial in Zealand, we get into the possibilities of what they call ultra, ultra extraterrestrials or ultra dimensionals, uh, written by Hal Putoff. And he goes into a redefinition of what these beings might be and what UAP might really be. And it's really worth reading what his assessment really is. So anything to do with disclosure right now, backing up a little bit now, with respect to, you know, U.S. national security and, and you know, tic-tac videos, put that in the context of who these beings really are, and it just blows the United States out of the water with their understanding and their wish to control the narrative of this. If the United States continues to control the narrative, all of the realizations of who these off-world civilizations are is never going to be brought forward. If this this continues to be a national security issue that's controlled by the United States, we're in big, big trouble. And if the if the mainstream media continues to buy and choke down the the uh, uh, the story, the narrative that the United States is in control of this issue with respect to these things invading our airspace. We are going to be in very, very big trouble, and and that's the big, I guess, turnkey or turning point as to how disclosure has really, really changed. This issue is not belonging to the United States government. This issue does not belong to any one country. This issue belongs to the human family, and it's up to the human family 
to come to some sort of understanding as to what this really is. And that's a, the that's the other big step that we're, we're attempting to take is get the human family, the entire population of our planet to become aware of what this issue is really being, not through the lens of national security, as the, the United States would want us to believe, but through the lens of who the human family is and where we are going as a species. And I said this before on your program, that we, in fact, are on the threshold of the next step of our of our evolution as a species. And once we understand that issue, it, it knocks out of the water this whole national security narrative that the United States government is trying to force down people's throats. Victor Vigiani, Executive Director of Zeland Communications, zlandcommunications.blogspot.com, if you want to read uh, that article and uh, uh, many other news and uh, editorial comment can be found there as well. Uh, Victor, thank you so much for joining me on my uh, second to last program. We will keep these conversations going on my podcast and uh, also uh, on the uh, the YouTube channel. I'll be uh, announcing soon what I'll be doing with the YouTube channel. You'll be a part of that, I know. Uh, Victor, thank you so much as always. It's a pleasure to be with you and best of luck in the future, Richard. It's, uh, it's, been, a, it's, been, a great, it's been a great story. To be continued. All yes, right. for sure. Bye for now. All right, coming up next, Deep State Secrets, media scientist Nelson Thal. Stay with us. In times of economic uncertainty and chaos, your money means nothing. You may not even be able to get it from your bank or ATM. And the money you do have in the stock market will go down and down. What you can bank on is gold and silver. Gold and silver have been a reliable and trusted form of currency for thousands of years. Gold and silver have never been worth zero, and typically gold holds its value during economic turmoil. Call the gold hotline now and learn how to protect your money and your assets with gold and silver. And learn how to set up a new IRA or roll over your current one into a gold-backed IRA. Protect your money from the next market crash with gold and silver. Call now for your free gold guide. 800-461-9694. 800-461-9694. That's 800-461-9694. It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And welcome back to the penultimate uh, program. One more time, just a reminder that uh, we are winding the show down. This is the second to last show. This was entirely my decision. Uh, it has, you know, there is no desire on the part of uh, Moses Neimer or anyone at Zoomer for me to leave. In fact, when I let them know that I was winding the show down, they were uh, surprised, saddened. I didn't. I wasn't entirely sure I would get an opportunity to say goodbye. That's typically not how it works in the radio business, but the people at Zoomer Radio are not typical. This is not your typical radio station. Uh, they, they've been so gracious, and they said, no, you know, take two weeks to say goodbye. Do a couple shows at least, you know, and then maybe the, I'll do the rounds on some of the other shows on Zoomer to say goodbye. So thank you for, uh, for that uh, uh, kind gesture to Moses Neimer, Paul Thomas, and everyone at uh, Zoomer Radio. Next week, I will be, I be, my intention is to do the final show live in studio from Zoomerplex, and it'll be open lines. We'll take uh, questions over the phone, questions from the YouTube live chat, ask me anything, and uh, I'm going to reach into the audio archives and uh, play some, some snippets from favorite past shows over the last 13 years. But once again, um, this is so long for... Uh, Zoomer Radio, but I still have my podcast three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's a, a Strange Planet, available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple and Spotify. I still have um, the YouTube channel. I'll continue uh, uploading fresh content to the YouTube channel. I'll probably do at least one live chat per month on the uh, the, the YouTube channel. Uh, in fact, there'll probably be more content on the YouTube channel going forward. And um, uh, coast to Coast AM, I'll continue to guest host there three, four times a month. Uh, and then also I have my uh, my my daily afternoon drive home show on Saga 960, The Richard Serrett Show. You can go to therichardserrettshow.com, therichardserrettshow.com for more information. All right, 
Uh, we're going to um, continue on visiting with some old dear friends on the program. Uh, Nelson Thal, former student of the late communication guru Marshall McLuhan, media scientist, longtime assassination researcher, uh, is here. We're going to discuss deep state secrets, including the recent death of actress Anne Heche in a, uh, a fiery car crash. Uh, she survived the crash and then died about a week later. Uh, a lot of strange circumstances surrounding that. And that happened about a day, her car crash happened about a day after the car crash, which took the life of U.S. Representative Jackie Walorski, uh, who was a representative from Indiana, I believe. Also, two of her aides were killed. And uh, Walorski had just, uh, I'm not sure of the timing, but at one point she had sponsored a bill. I think she was very active in this area, sponsored a bill to uh, combat human sex trafficking. So that's Walorski's work, combating human sex trafficking. And then Anne Heche had recently appeared in a movie, it has yet to be released, called The Girl in Room 13, where Anne Heche plays the mother of a daughter who is being held captive in a hotel room and her captors are intending to sell her into human trafficking. The whole point of the movie was to raise awareness about this scourge of human trafficking and and sex um, child sex rings and so forth. So strange that both Heche and Walorski died a day apart in car crashes, both working on this issue. There have been other examples of, uh, of people that have been vocal about human trafficking, Anthony Bourdain, uh, and, and others who ended up dying under, some might say, mysterious circumstances. Time permitting, we'll also get into a digital ID, digital currency, maybe the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago. All right, so, uh, once again, Nelson Thal, recognized as one of the world's leading authorities on the science of communication media and process analysis and uh, his expertise has afforded him the opportunity to define law terms for the Federal Court of Canada, develop a television series with the late Dr. Timothy Leary. And while a graduate student studying at the University of Toronto with Professor Marshall McLuhan, Nelson became a uh, McLuhan protege and served as the president of the Marshall McLuhan Center on Global Communications from 1990 to 1995. He served on the boards of directors of Torstar, Stan Lee Media, Peace Arch Films and Entertainment and other publicly traded media companies. Nelson Thal, welcome back to the program one more time. How are you, buddy? Just fine. Thanks very much for that introduction. And it's just a real honor to be back here to celebrate this show with you, Richard. Well, you know, I I was uh, off the the top of the show. I was saying that um, I think we first met in the um, maybe around 1993 uh, I wasn't on the air. I was working as a producer at another radio station and someone up on the 11th floor um, who worked for the in the syndication wing, I believe, of that radio station. You knew him. He wanted to introduce you to the, the host of the show that I was producing. And um, it wasn't long after that uh, that you introduced me. I think that you, the, the first book uh, that you introduced me to was uh, Carol Quigley, Dr. Carol Quigley's Tragedy and Hope. And, uh, of course, nothing has ever been the same since. So, really, you're, in many ways, you're responsible for sort of my getting involved in this whole arena. Do you remember that uh, way back when, when our first meeting? Yes, I certainly do. It was exciting at those years and those years. I mean, our purpose was never to entertain but to expose the truth and update consciousness. And that's always been our prime purpose. And um, every one of the state secrets which we identified has certainly come to life, to light. We're batting a thousand. And here we are wrapping up after many decades. So it's certainly a night to reminisce and celebrate our past successes. And um, I mean, one of our big successes was that starting in the early 70s, they they had to start labeling these state secrets as conspiracy theories just in order to cover up their nefarious secret societies. Right. And um, because the, the word conspiracy, of course, now is completely radioactive. Anytime anyone wants to shut down a discussion or an investigation, they just label somebody a conspiracy theorist. Um, and so, as, as you say, the term state secret is probably more 
appropriate. I wanted to reminisce a little bit in terms of some of the people that you, again, this was the early and mid-90s that you brought on this this program that I was producing at the time. I remember an interview that uh, we did, you did, with Pierre Salinger. Yes. And uh, Pierre Salinger, of course, was at one time John F. Kennedy's press secretary. And then he was a correspondent for many, for many years, foreign correspondent for ABC News. Um, what was the, I'm trying to remember the... Um, well, it was the TW-800 yes. he identified as being uh, shot down by a terrorist missile. Uh, the government story, of course, was a, an, an obvious lie in that it was a spark in the center fuel tank that, <laughs> that triggered the explosion, which is anybody who's a pilot or knows anything about flying knows that was nonsense. But they were able to get away with this sort of nonsense and lies and and uh, Salinger recognized it and of course he started to publicize it and he was uh, at the ABC news desk in New York and they immediately moved him and shifted him to Paris uh, and as a assassination and JFK assassination researcher starting in 69 and working with Penn Jones and May Brussel and Sherman Skolnick cutting my teeth and studying and learning and spending time with them, um, I was able to get an introduction to Salinger and discuss all sorts of historical events that he was involved in. And, of course, at this time, uh, when we brought him on on the other radio station, I almost said the name. That's all uh, uh, he was he was being ostracized by the media because he was uh, telling the truth. And, you know, as one of the things we we've always talked about, how as Luke 817 says in the Holy Scriptures, for nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not uh, be known and come to light. And um, that's what we've been doing, exposing these secrets that uh, that uh, the scripture says are going to be made known. Another um, interview that I recall was with yeah. uh, Brigadier General Parton. Yes. On the Oklahoma yeah, bombing. Brigadier General Parton was another uh, contact of mine. He was head of the non-nuclear arsenal of the United States, and he was brought in by the government to do the uh, analysis of the Alfred Murrah building explosion, which is other, a.k.a. Oklahoma. Yes. Uh, and his report, in his report, he found that it was a bomb inside the building by judging from the structure. This was his expertise. Of course, he was a PhD in engineer as well as a general. And he said uh, the bomb was from inside the building. And of course, you recall, Richard, that uh, the government again lied and said it was uh, McVeigh, Timothy McVeigh, using a, a fertilizer bomb. truck filled with fertilizer. I mean, these guys, a, a, a bomb is what they said parked outside the building. And so Benton Parton did this report. And of course, it was totally ignored. And he was uh, censored by the media. And once again, he became available to us. Normally, normally, we'd never be I'd never be able to get to these people. But the minute they get censored by the mass media, um, somebody like us on a, on a blowtorch station, as Skolnick called it, up in Toronto, um, can get to them. I mean, I remember once picking up the newspaper in 1989, and there was a full-page ad in the Sunday New York Times uh, saying the TWA 800, back to Solinger and TWA 800, TWA 800 was shot down by missiles, and the ad was taken out by the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral Moore. Right, right. Now, I expected that Sunday night, the next day, that Dan Rather would have picked up that story. That's news. I mean, I don't care who you are, but a journalist or no, you are not a journalist. You should realize that that's news if the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff does that. And, and he had to take out a 70 page. Yeah, he had to do an end run on the, for the ad. And Nelson, we've got to take a quick timeout. We'll come back yeah. and uh, discuss uh, more, including the, uh, the Anne Heche uh, car uh, accident along with uh, Jackie. Uh, Walorski, independent or the um, uh, re- representative for Indiana in uh, Congress, both killed. Similar circumstances, a day apart, both working to uh, you know bring attention to the scourge of human trafficking. Uh, back with more of our conversation right after these. Don't go away. 
If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-817-2974. 800-817-2974. 800-817-2974. That's 800-817-2974. All right, welcome back. Media scientist, assassination researcher, protege of the late communications guru, Marshall McLuhan. Nelson Thal uh, is here, and you will uh, remember Nelson from uh, many years as a host of a very successful late-night program called Cloak and Dagger. Uh, Nelson, of course, uh, also known as Lenny Bloom for all those uh, years and uh, created quite a fire, <laughs> quite a firestorm <laughs> with some of the revelations on that program. Uh, I'm trying to remember the, the name of the, uh, was it a, a minister in the German uh, government, federal government, that you you also had a number of discussions with regarding 9-11. Um, who, do you remember who I'm referring to? Sure. That was uh, Andreas von Bülow, who had been head of German CIA uh, and then became the minister of intelligence uh, and uh, f- uh, in the in the um, Schmidt cabinet. And we brought him on and um, he, he identified uh, how 9-11 could not have been done without um, without state backing of the American military. Mm-hmm. And to have we always I mean, the, you know, Rich, because they censored all these top people, it made them available to small fries like us. Uh, who never would have normally gotten to them. So this is one of the, for us, one of the benefits of the fact that there is this um, propaganda blanket and this smothering going on. Uh, by the way, since you mentioned it, I do want to take this opportunity to thank Mr. Namer, Moses Namer, yes. the executive president who uh, deserves a lot of credit for putting us on the air and the TV show that he put on his television show, Vision TV, that we did many years ago. Yes. I mean, um, this this takes a lot of courage and foresight and intelligence. And he's a very wise man. And I just want to point that out uh, to the audience that uh, we're very fortunate to have a man like that running uh, the media here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Eternally grateful to Moses Neimer uh, for sure. Um, All right. So I want to ask you about Anne Heche. (laughs) Anne Heche, uh, Hollywood movie actress. 53 years old, she's, uh, she, her car slams into a, into a home, a fiery crash. Uh, there's video, uh, of her being taken out on a stretcher in it, what appears to be a body bag, as if she's, you know, succumbed to her injuries before she's loaded into the ambulance. We see this is an aerial photo or aerial video of her. She's, it's like she's bursting out of this body bag. Like, in other words, I'm still alive. I'm still alive. She actually sits up on the stretcher. Uh, a week later, she uh, sadly succumbs to uh, her injuries, we're told. Her her car crash follows just a, maybe a, two days or a day before Indiana Representative Jackie Wolarski is killed in a car accident along with two of her aides. It turns out that she was a sponsor of a bill, and this was a... a, a um, an issue very near and dear to her heart, a bill to combat human trafficking. And I, I, I neglected to mention, Anne Heche had just completed a movie yet to be released called A Girl in Room 13, uh, which also deals with human trafficking. What do you hear about these two things? Are they? Is this a coincidence? Are they related? Well, you know, as Marsh McLuhan talked about the fact that we live in an age of gigantic pictorial illusionism and journalistic exaggeration of concealment. Uh, He always liked to go to the hidden ground to this stuff. And I think the hidden ground to this, I can read to you right off the, the scriptures. 
you shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch. Uh, Deuteronomy 18.10, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering to Moloch. That's what's been going on for thousands of years, and it hasn't changed in our modern era, which isn't so modern. It's just that they've been able to cover it up and keep it covered up. And usually what happens in the United States is they cover this up by titillating the audience with sex. Clinton did it with the uh, with uh, Lewinsky, uh, Monica, and uh, distracted people from the fact that he was selling uh, atomic bomb parts to Korea, as Golnick, Sherman Skolnick exposed. And this is once again, this is what they're doing. It's uh, horrendous, but. This is not new. This is going on for thousands of years. It's detailed in the Bible. And um, they're causing and offering their children uh, to uh, to Moloch, to Baal, Satan worshiping. And in order to cover this up, they claim, oh, it's just pedophiles and they're child slaves and they're using the children for pedophiles. That's probably too, too, true. But it's it's the thing that they're taking. It's the main thing they're talking about. It's got nothing to do with what's really happening and the real hidden ground here. And now back to Anne Hesch. Well, she did a movie exposing a lot of this. Right. The girl in room 13. It's uh, yet to be released. We'll see. I'm not sure when that's slated for release. Um, you know, there have been others. Where, where I got to go into a break here. But uh, Anthony Bourdain, who supposedly... Uh, took his own life, was also apparently very vocal about human trafficking. We had um, uh, the lead singer of uh, Lincoln Park, Chester Bennington. And and it is trafficking, but it's not for the purpose of sex alone. It's also for passing through the fire, which is horrendous. Absolutely. All right, Nelson, one final time out. We'll come back and uh, discuss more deep se- uh, state secrets right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. <laughs> It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. A few minutes remain with media scientist, assassination researcher, Nelson Thal, protege of the late Marshall McLuhan. We're talking deep state secrets. Um, I know we've told this story uh, before, but it's been a few years, Nelson. You um, courageously smuggled in a um, a copy of the Zapruder film into Canada that had been given to you by JFK assassination Penn Jones and it had been given to him. Uh, well, I- I'll let you tell the story. Uh, I mean, had you been caught with that film? This is before the Zapruder I'd film. I'd still be in jail today. Right. This was before, um, uh, before Geraldo Rivera aired the Zapruder film on one of these network specials in the mid-70s or early 70s. Mm-hmm. This was like, what, 1970, 71? You met... 71. 71. You met Penn Jones down, down at Love Airfield in Dallas, and he gave you the Zapruder film, and he got it from... He got it from Jim Garrison. Right. So, Gar- uh, yeah. Basically, in 1969, I started... Uh, I picked up the paper, and I saw that the Clay Shaw had been charged with the murder of uh, John F. Kennedy and uh, when the Warren Commission came, I got a copy of the Warren Commission, started to read it and pretty well realized right away that the whole thing was a a cover-up and I got in touch with Penn Jones through contacts I had in the newspaper business here, got an introduction, went down to Dallas, saw him and had my eyes opened up to what was going on with that assassination and the and the, the whole nomenclature of the assassination cabal uh, and um, uh, Garrison had the copy. He got the copy in 1964 uh, with the Warren Commission when it was published. The copy went into the archives for 75 years. It was not to be taken out. But when but Garrison subpoenaed it from Time Life and it was brought out. He showed it during uh, d- during the trial, and at the lunch break, he had the Kodak Labs all ready to go, and he made a copy illegally. Then he had an illegal copy of the Bruder film, but what was he going to do with it? How could he safely get rid of it? He was in a problem. It was a hot potato. He wanted to get it out, but, you know, he didn't – who could he trust? Because uh, anybody would be able to extort a lot of money out of him if they got a hold of it. Or they could go to the FBI and report it and say, I got this from Jim Garris, and then he'd be in trouble. They'd arrest him. Uh, I just happened to be the right guy in the right time, right spot. I was Canadian, connected to the media, could get it out. 
and um, and Garrison trusted me, and he released it to Penn Jones, and Penn gave it to me. I went down to Dallas. Uh, I bought a ticket. In those years, you know, um, there's you didn't even have to show a passport. Uh, y- you could give any name on a ticket that you wanted to give, which I did. I didn't give my real name, and I just took a bought a ticket there and a ticket back. And I uh, Penn Jones met met me at the gate because in those years, you know, you could meet the person at the gate. Right. He just met me at the gate and handed me a copy. And actually, just for trivia purposes. He he hid it inside of all of, of the tragedy and hope book by oh a girl quickly, which wow. you, you, yeah. And I just went to the gate, got out of the plane, went to the gate. He handed me the book. I went back in the plane, and while the cleaners were vacuuming, they said, uh, "You don't have to stay here." I said, "No, no." And I just stayed on the plane and flew back to Toronto and kissed the ground when I got out because it was not illegal to have. And then I now it, no, it was it, illegal but, to have. It was illegal to yeah, have in the United States, but not in Canada. Oh, and not in Canada, right, right. So once right. I was in Canada, I was safe. Got it. And then you, and you, I got, you wanted to get it aired on a border station, right, so that it could be right, shown to Right, I wanted to, the, to get it aired so people, we could distribute it to the States. So I, used, I was at the University of Toronto, and I got in touch with people at the other universities in Syracuse and um, Rochester and Buffalo and uh, Detroit and Michigan around the borders because I had a guy, a high-level guy, executive his name was i can now say eric koch k-o-c-h eric was the highest executive at cbc in toronto there was no one in toronto higher than him that and uh and uh, he agreed to uh to air it very quickly and so i uh, he aired it and uh, he did it at about 2 30 in the morning and uh, so i had guys at the universities in the states on the, you know, who could pick up the station, CBLT, Toronto, and I can't remember the, 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 the Windsor station, but it was CBC Windsor, and we broadcasted it, and they picked it up on tape, and that's how we got it out. In other words, it wasn't necessarily for the, the, the general public. Unless they happen to be watching at 2.30 in the morning, all of a sudden the test pattern disappears. Up, yeah. up comes the Zapruder film footage. <laughs> Meanwhile, all of these researchers and other places around that you had alerted are hitting record on their big reel-to-reel tape machines. So in other words, you're now duplicating it. Around the world, or not around the around yeah, the country? I think it's eight, it, I think it's two two and a half inch tape. I can't. Yeah. You know, it's been a long time. Uh, I think it's is that two and a half inch tape. The big ones. I can't remember. That's bef- I can't remember. But it's that those big tapes that we had in the Lee right. University libraries. That's what we use. What they used. Right. I'm, and I'm sure there were people that were that happened to see it by accident. That were, yeah, that had, they, but I don't think they'd understand it or know what it was. And who's on at two thirty in the morning listening to a t- uh, watching a test pattern? Maybe, right. but it only came on. We only dropped the test pattern uh, for about what was the color bars they call it. Right. But uh, they they only drop it dropped it for about a minute and a half. Right, right. So that technically is the first time the Zapruder film was aired on television. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So I was an illegal – I became a film distributor, (laughs) a legal film distributor. You know, someone has always – something that has always puzzled me, just getting back to the Zapruder film, uh, and that is Abraham Zapruder holding that camera, and it's rock steady. There he is standing, you know, near the grassy knoll as this assassination is taking place. Shots are ringing out. You see people ducking for cover. He doesn't even flinch. The camera doesn't shake. It's it's as smooth as silk. How do you explain that? Did Zapruder know something was happening? Well, um, Penn Jones did uh, alluded to it that he was. Uh, Penn Jones would would only say publicly that. Um, he never knew that Abraham Zapruder was a white Russian until he years later. He he implied Jones implied that he that Jones, that Zapruder knew about it, and he 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 inferred that he had connection with Demorenschild, who met Oswald in the at the air uh, at the airport when he arrived in in, in also in, a white in, russian in the united states right also so a white he russian implied a, a connection there between zapruder he implied implied that zapruder had knowledge as you say yes and was there to document the event for whatever reason 
Yes, yes, exactly, to document it. Uh, there were many other cameras that day. That just happened to be the one that, for some reason, that the public got, got wind of. Right, right. Well, well, you know, but to go back to, yeah, we've, we've had some, we've gone to the top at all times with our, we, we've gone to the top, we've gone to top people. We also had um, a lawyer for MI5 on, on talking about Lady Diana. Uh, yes. And uh, we, in all is our that research, Michael Shrimpton, we, we, Michael Shrimpton was Sh- Mike Shrimpton. Yes, uh, yeah, who was a lawyer for MI5, came on and talked about the and explained the the wet team from Turkey that did the Diane assassination. I mean, we've really done yeoman service. It's been really exciting, and um, uh, I'm sure your audience benefited by it, updating their consciousness. And uh, help them today because today we're in a situation where uh, we're, it's evident from this latest cabal of state genocide by inoculation uh, that we're at an early manifestation of the pale horseman of revelation. So there's a lot going on and, it's, and the, the secrets are exposed, the prophecies becoming history at a faster pace than ever before than when we started. Well, Nelson uh – I'm sure we will continue these discussions. I hope we will on my my podcast and on my YouTube channel. Um, but it's uh, so long here on on AM seven forty Zoomer Radio, and uh, I want to thank you for uh, for all the years that you've come on this program and um, enjoyed speaking with you every single time. It's been a real pleasure, and uh, it's an honor. And you've been doing yeoman service, great work. You 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 should win a Pulitzer Prize, Richard. And I uh, just want to thank you for the opportunity to be a friend and to uh, throw out some crazy ideas and rustle things around and get out and just you know uh, uh, be a beacon of light, which you've been. So I want to thank you again, and uh, we'll be in touch. And uh, God bless you. God bless you, Nelson Thal. All right, uh, that's it for me. My thanks to Carlos Cagina and Ryan White. I'll be back next week, one more time, two hours of open lines, Ask Me Anything. We'll also play some clips from some previous shows going back 13 years. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known, which you, which you hear in the dark. Speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. You can become an official Patreon supporter of my work here at Strange Planet Productions by donating a monthly amount through patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. There are several tiers to choose from. Pick which one is right for you, but any monthly amount is greatly appreciated. As a sign of my appreciation, you can have your name mentioned on air during my weekly radio show, or you could have your name included in a crawl on my YouTube channel live stream. You could also receive episodes of my old podcast, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. This critically acclaimed podcast, produced in partnership with Chris Jericho, is not currently available anywhere else. If you enjoy this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, you can really get behind me and my work by donating once a month at patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. <laughs>